Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Also, as usual, joining me from the uh, northern part of this country is my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? I have never been better, Jeff, as far as I can remember anyway. Good thing all those drugs have left your memory for only like, what is it, like two weeks is tops now? Yeah, if I can get to two weeks these days. Um, it depends on if I'm, you know, recording stuff or not. It sucks if you if you have that bad a memory and you're doing a, a history podcast. Yeah, that's the worst part about it is, uh, you know, I can't even remember my own history, let alone someone else's. All right. Well, let's uh, get into it here. Back for another show. Let's see. Let's first, before we get into anything too serious, let's get into some BP because want to definitely be limber. We're getting older back hurts my shoulder hurts we want to warm up here before we do anything so mark we've been talking a lot about cricket during this off season and i'm going to talk some more about it in fact i just literally just finished watching a west indies england cricket match here today and i hope some of our listeners have had a chance to to watch and and maybe see see what i am going on about as uh, I've been talking about it. I explained a while ago what a T20 was. It's a match where each team bowls 20 ends, which are kind of like innings, and then that's it. It's not a, you have to retire everybody like you would in a like an international, a real cricket match. Well, the first two batsmen of the game in like a T20, they could literally be there for the entire time that that side is up. If they last the whole 20 ends, they get to stay there. Well, there's a new league that is trying to form, and it's called the hundred. So there are you you bowl six balls in each end. So for a T20, it's twenty times six. It's 120 balls each team bowls, or each team gets to swing at. With well, a hundred, each team only bowls a hundred. Which now I did go to Washington State, but my math tells me that is twenty less than 120. Can we get a a confirmation on that? Yeah, it's not history, so that one I can yeah, tell you, can you absolutely. <laughs> well, this league has not gone over well at all on social media, and it's not just the amount of balls being bold. That's that really doesn't have any. Nobody's like upset about somebody trying something different. It's the terminology that this league wants to use that has everybody in England up in arms. So instead of wickets, they want to refer to them as outs. <laughs> instead of batsmen, they want to just call them batters. And instead of ends, they want to call them innings. They're really trying to make it just sound more like baseball, which I know there are some baseball fans in England. I know there's a lot of actually good baseball podcasts from England, too. But I would say that the majority of fans of, of cricket probably don't pay attention to baseball. And so they're a little bit up in arms about this. Now, speaking of all these baseball terms, I was in the match I was watching. There was uh, somebody that was throwing a googly, which is a which is a, a pitch, which essentially you throw it in the in the the batsman sees the back of your throwing hand, your bowling hand. So it's kind of you're kind of rolling it off. It's almost like a, a layup in, in basketball more than anything. I was trying to come up with a, a baseball pitch that it might be similar to. And my initial <laughs> thought was a screwball. But no, that's. Because you're still twisting, you're your flicking your wrist on a screwball. I don't think there really is a an equivalent of a googly in, in baseball. Yeah, you know, 
I can't come up with any. I mean, I've seen some weird stuff in my life in baseball, but uh, no, I, I, I don't think we can I match that. I don't think there's a pitch where you throw where your hand, the back of your hand is facing the batter. Maybe, yeah, maybe it would be uh, rather odd if you could. All right. A couple of other things. We talked about box scores a couple of times last couple of shows. Some crazy ones that some some uh, users sent in as well as some ones that we went over ourselves. Well, interesting thread on social media recently. Some crazy box scores were being shared from college games. Oh, nice. Obviously, we didn't cover these, but there are some interesting ones here. Here is one Minnesota versus Bemidji State. So this game between the Gophers and I do not know what Bemidji State is. Yes, let me see if I can find it here real quick. It looks like they're the Beavers. So it's the uh, the Gophers and the Beavers are playing. This game only went eight innings. The final score was 41 to 20. That's a blowout. That's a lot of runs. But just so you know, Minnesota State, who was, was the visiting team, in the top of the ninth, they scored 14 more runs just to pad their lead to make sure that they had that 21-run lead going into the bottom of the eighth. Of course. I would love to see the time of game on that one. Oh, man. That's got to be dangerously horrible. Yeah, I don't have it. Here's another one. Illinois State at Belmont. This is from 2019. This game went into extra innings. It was uh, all tied up at 11 through 9 innings. The 10th inning, nobody scored. And then in the 11th inning, the visiting Illinois State Cardinals, I believe, they scored 16 runs in the top (laughs) of the 11th. Just uh, so they put a rally together is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, and this was their first game of the year. Apparently they were, <laughs> they were zero and zero coming into this game. Congratulations. So hopefully they went on to, to great stuff that year. Another one here, Southern Virginia at Salisbury. Now I guess it's the Salisbury Eagles. I have no idea where they're from. Wait, no, I think I know it's the stakes. Yeah. I was going to say, I would have really <laughs> gone with the stakes myself. So Southern Virginia, first of all, coming into this game was one in 20. Ooh. So it was, you know, not a good team versus Salisbury was uh, was an okay team. This game went 23 innings. The final score was seven to six. They only scored one run in the 23rd inning. My God, I'd hate to work that thing. Got up. Got a lot of guys actually had some good games. I mean, there's guys here that went four for 10, four for four for nine, three for eight. I mean, there's some guys that pit, uh, that hit really well. Not a lot of pitching on the Salisbury end. No, it doesn't sound like No, it. a lot of guys. Yeah. Southern Virginia, the starter went four innings. Then they brought a guy in that went six. Then in the 11th inning, they brought a guy in. He walked a guy and they took him out. And then the next guy went six innings, and then Zach Zarlar got the win after going seven innings. Wow, in relief. In That's relief. impressive. So congratulations. I think his arm fell off after that. <laughs> I would hope uh, for the best for the poor guy, man. I would have at least at least rested him for four or five months. He was the starter the next someone. day. No, he was, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> he was, he was not. <laughs> well, he had to have run out of pitchers in some capacity. You know, my gosh. Well, I just, I wonder if they, maybe they didn't have a full roster. You know, these are small schools. Maybe they didn't have anybody that had any experience. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, college well, baseball possible. is a they, uh, thing. They called uh, a winning number out of the program and that person got to throw an inning or two. Yeah. Or six. 
Try to have been there. <laughs> I'm wondering if that guy that only walked a batter, if he got hurt, or if you're already in extra innings, are you like going batter to batter at that point, and then it didn't work out? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that would that one did not work yeah, out. Yeah, that was not That's a good managerial a move. If that was the case. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of, of pitching and extra inning games, so it came out a little while ago that the Frontier League has announced that it's going to use something they call sudden death baseball to settle tie games this upcoming season. I heard this. I heard this. Yeah. So let's explain it if you have not heard about it. So they're going to play one extra inning. So they'll play the 10th inning, just normal, no automatic runners on, just you go out there, your next three guys come up. What used to be normal and will return to be normal baseball. If it is still tied after the 10th inning, this is what they do. Then they go into this sudden death. The home team gets to choose whether they want to hit or pitch. The hitting team gets to put a runner on first and they get three outs to try and score a run. If they score a run, that team that was at bat wins. That's it. If they do not score a run, the pitching team wins. So essentially right. you're playing the top of the 11th and that is it no matter what. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this, Mark, and I want to get your thoughts too. My thought here is this is great for a frontier league for a, a low. I'm, I don't think they're independent. I think they're just low a that's great. You got young kids in those leagues. Don't destroy their arms. Get the time of game down. For a minor league, a minor, minor league, I think this is fine. Obviously, well, I guess I can't say obvious with Rob Manfred. You're never going to see this in the big leagues, <laughs> I hope. Yeah, that's the only thing that frightens me. I mean, like you say, it's it's a low minor league, and Manfred himself has had the minor leagues working on new stuff for the last couple of seasons. Yeah. So if, if a team wants to try, or a league wants to try something out like that, that's fine as long as it doesn't get anywhere near my major leagues. I'm okay with it. Well, we got RoboUmps in AAA this year, so. Uh, that scares me, too. It scares me, but I also, I, I like RoboUmps because I want. Well, because of the accuracy? I want some consistency. Yeah. That's that's kind of a cool thing, the whole being accurate thing. So if you remember, we had Richie Schaefer on. Boy, it was, might have been two years ago. And he played in the Atlantic League when they were using this a couple of years ago, the first year that they used it. And I remember he was describing pitch that would come and then everybody would just kind of stare at the umpire and it would be 10 seconds until he would make a call. Right. It's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll see what it's like. They also had issues, though, with it calling balls out of the strike zone strikes if they were like low pitches, like a pitch that rolled off the table and dove. They were having troubles getting strike calls on pitches that were out of the strike zone. But like you say, that's two years ago. So I'm sure that's improved. Quite well, a bit. And these AAA clubs are going to have Hawkeye. I know because I'm working with a couple of them that are going to have this. Not, not all AAA teams are, but several are. And I'm working with two of them that have it. And I know because I've been talking to MILBAM, Hawkeye is there, which is what is used in the major leagues that has all the different points around the field that have got sensors and that right. kind of stuff so it'll right. be interesting but i, I want to get back to this sudden death baseball because i i looked up what the you know the old adage of uh, leadoff walk always comes around to score that's essentially what you're getting here right you're putting a runner yeah. on first that didn't get a base hit and you're putting them there and saying all right you got three more outs so the leadoff walk scores between 22 and 34 percent of the time on average hmm. according to, to mlb.com 
I mean, I guess it depends on on what your how your team is made up. Maybe you've got a great bullpen, or maybe you've got some big bats coming up, and the other team has a bad bullpen. I think you kind of play it by ear, depending on the situation. It's interesting. I'll I'll pay attention to it and see how it see how it comes out. Yeah. All right, Mark. Let's head into the final part of BP here. It's time for trivia. The question that I asked last was this: Sean Murphy hit into a game-ending triple play last year against the Yankees. So my question was: When was the first recorded triple play that ended a game? Now you have a very high rate of getting these correct. I, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to get this one. Do you have an answer for me? I'm going to go with Rogers Hornsby. Okay. Well, the question again was when was the first? <laughs> so I asked for a, a date, maybe even just a year, and your answer is Rogers Hornsby. Okay. Let's yes. uh, let's go the to the judges. Is that correct? No. It's, it's not the person's name? No. No. That is not mm. how we record dates uh, here on this planet. No. Uh, so okay. let's see if we the correct answer is actually September 6th, 1924. Well, you know what? Hornsby did play in 24. <laughs> well, he did not play in this game again. I mean, recording things just like the Negro Leagues, not the greatest as you get into the 1800s. But I'm guessing that a game somewhere before this ended on a triple play. But I also got several answers from listeners that was the exact same one. So I'm going to stick with it. September 6, 1924, the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Phillies. Interesting, not the Athletics. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is straight from baseball reference, so don't yell at me. Uh, <laughs> uh, final score was 16 to 14. This was not an extra innings game. <laughs> 22 and 20 hits apiece for the Giants and the Phillies. But the game ended on a triple play. And let, let me walk you through it here. So we go to the bottom of the ninth inning. Phillies trailing 14 to 16. Harry Baldwin on the bump for the New York Giants. Johnny Mokin comes up and he singles to left to lead it off. So Baldwin is replaced by Art Neff. Uh, he comes up. Cy Williams strokes a single to center. Mokum to second. And now we've got a pinch hitter, Joe Schultz is going to pinch it for Greg Harper. Art Neff still on the mound. And he hit into a line drive game ending triple play. Again, this was in 1924. A couple of interesting names from this game. Frankie Frisch was involved. High Pockets Kelly was in left field for the Giants. Had a good game. Three for six. Three RBI. We'll take that. High Pocket and a triple. He had speed. For, for good old high pockets. Hack Wilson. Long legs. Yeah, Hack Wilson, also in this game in 1924. Uh, he still had a couple of more, you know, almost a six more years until he knocked in 191, but he was in there. There were two Heinies, oh, one two on Heinies. each team. They were both leading off. Heine Grow for the Giants and Heine Sand for the Phillies. Double Heine. Yeah, two That's Heines. Amazing. And Hod Ford was at second base for the Phillies as well. Sweet. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to have seen that game. Yeah. Uh, let's see. All, all of that, though, let's see. It took uh, two hours and 47 minutes. So almost just a typical major league game now. And this sure. was the second game of a doubleheader, too. So might have made for a long day. 
<laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> uh, we did have a couple of correct answers. I want to shout that out. Andrew Harner, Kelly Monroe, and Marco Sines all came up with that. So I'm feeling confident. Because this one, I had to actually do research. It wasn't just to fill out a query and have it pop up. This one, however, our question for next week might be a little bit easier. We're going to stick with the triple plays. So I've given you the first recorded and the last recorded triple play to end a ball game. How many times has a triple play ended a ball game? Mm. And the answer nice. is not Rogers Hornsby. I'm no, okay, looking for no. a number. The answer is Zach Wheat. Suck it, Trebek. That's the answer <laughs> right there. That's it. Okay, so you know there's two. You know there is at least two. So nobody give me an answer less than two. How many times has a triple play ended a game? All right, Grounds Crew is already out and doing their stuff, making sure that those batter's boxes are laid down correctly. Otherwise, Bobby Valentine's going to come out and mm-hmm. make a stink about it. I'm looking at you, Atlanta. This is one of our infamous and famous, as well as apparently well-enjoyed. These are Our tales from the, the dugout episodes are continually some of our highest downloaded episodes. I don't yeah. know if, we, if we're not entertaining enough when we do the longer stories. I don't know. We'll let you know it's uh, we have short attention spans. And so we uh, attract people with short attention spans, maybe. All right. Whatever works for our listeners and us. That's good. All right. So we've got a couple of just quicker, too long for for BP, but too short for a whole episode. And we've got a couple of those and then we'll get to Wax Packs Heroes. So first of all, Mark, I'm going to start out here. And last year, actually, it might have even been two years ago. I don't know how long it was ago. We did a story on the Phillies visiting clubhouse cheesesteak eating record. You remember that one? Yes. Yes, I do. And actually, here, I, I wrote it down. It was show 105, if you want to go back and remember that or, or catch it for the first time. It is considered by many two-strike noise scholars as a seminal episode in this podcast. Yes. Uh, along the same lines, I want to talk about another uh, seminal name, a Francesco Stefano Pozzolo. Oh, sure. Yeah. He is also the great-great-grandson of Enrico Palazzo. No, he's not. <laughs> I made that up. That is, that is not true. But Francesco is a real person, and he's a baseball player who played for the White Sox, Athletics, and Yankees from 1911 through 1921. Francesco was better known as Ping, a nickname that was given to him because that's the sound the ball made coming off his bat. Now, Mark, do you remember when Major League Baseball allowed aluminum bats for a while in the 1920s? Oh, gosh, let me think. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, those were the days. I have never heard a ping off a wooden bat, but no. Nonetheless, that's that's his nickname. That's how they say he got it. Well, the this outfielder was the epitome of a league average player for his entire career. But despite this, he was not short in self-confidence at all. <laughs> During his lone year in Philadelphia, he was quoted as saying, "I and the Liberty Bell are the only attractions in Philadelphia." Oh my goodness yeah so just to tell you how average he was nine years in the big leagues he hit 275 a 335 on base and a 396 slugging never led the league in anything play quite a bit in the outfield uh 83 stolen bases 43 home runs literally i mean this is an average Mm -hmm. player nothing very much nothing that special about him except for 
something I'm going to tell you, and his self-confidence. Well, he finished his career with the Yankees and was Babe Ruth's roommate while he was in New York. Or rather, as Ping described it, he was Babe's suitcases roommates, as Babe rarely, if ever, slept in his hotel room on the road. Which <laughs> is a shame, because both Ruth and Ping were known to put away a lot of food. They both enjoyed eating. Ping, mind you, was only five foot eight and weighed 195 pounds. But during spring training in 1919 with the Yankees, the team was in Jacksonville, Florida during spring training, and the nearby Jacksonville Zoo was promoting a new addition to their menagerie. It was an ostrich, and it was billed as the world's greatest eater. <laughs> so this ostrich, it was named Percy. And the idea of Percy the Ostrich versus Ping Bodhi for the undisputed greatest eater in the world championship was born. Ping was game as long as the food with which they were going to battle with was his favorite meal, spaghetti. A spaghetti. No word if there were meatballs or not. I did not see any mention of a meatball. Me, I personally would have picked oysters because the ostrich in no way is going to be able to open, you know, the shells. So, so you're looking to lean things your direction. Yeah, I eat one okay. and it's one and done. Bam. Yeah, yeah. I love oysters, though, so I would have eaten more than one. Again, easy win. Big brain right there. The match was broken into rounds. In round two, Ping actually ditched his fork. He threw it away and went primal and just was shoving spaghetti into his mouth using his hands. In the third round, the ostrich, in a power move finished the plate in front of him, and then ate the pocket watch of his handler. <laughs> you know, his handler was holding the watch, timing the round, and the ostrich just ate it. Kind of, uh, I mean, that's a, that's an alpha move right there, to eat the watch. Like, eh. Yeah, that's impressive. So this thing's still going on into the 11th round. By the way, we do not condone this. This ostrich should not be eating this much. Nor should it be eating jewelry. No, yeah. And there were, the, the news articles I read about this said many people left worried about the ostrich's health and couldn't watch this anymore. So this thing is still going on in the 11th round, but that was as far as it got. Ping downed his plate of spaghetti before Percy even started on his. Percy being smart and being like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to keep going. Ping was proclaimed the winner by a technical knockout. And uh, I did not find any word if there was a ticker tape parade or not. But Ping Bodhi, the very first Major League eating champion. Defeating a giant bird. Yeah. No, there, there was no, uh, no Joey Chestnut around this time. Right. Right. Exactly. But there was Percy and Ping Bodhi. Uh, you know, Ping Bodhi to me, I, I th wasn't that the lead character in Point Break? Oh, I think you might, it's been a while, but I think you might be right. Yeah, I might have, I might have messed this story up, but there you go. Ping Bodhi, average player, great eater. All right, Mark, you got something for us? Sure. I, I have kind of an interesting little pair of stories here that kind of match up. So Jerry Hairston Jr. Uh, was on the Texas Rangers with a young Gerald Laird. And uh, Laird was known for, and I'm using, using the words of Hairston, known for popping off during spring training, okay. which probably didn't sit real well with the veteran players. So Hairston had a couple of friends who were cops. Okay. So he talks them into and gets them to show up at the clubhouse in surprise, Arizona, by the way, he got Ron Washington, the manager's blessing on this. So it was all cool. 
And uh, the cops came in and they said they were issuing a warrant for Laird's arrest because of <laughs> because of unpaid child support. Okay, this is all made up. <clears throat> okay, none of this is real. Laird doesn't know what's going on. Is he married? Does he have kids? He had just got married. He was newly married. And so he's like, it even says here, he's thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? So he basically, he went, he just, all he could do was stare and wonder what, what in the world was going on. He had no idea. So the cops handcuff him and throw a towel over the handcuffs and they lead him out and they, <laughs> they perp walk him in front of his teammates, right? In the locker room. And they go and they put him in the back of the squad car. It's pretty funny. Uh, Harrison said he's telling him the whole time, listen, I got some good lawyer friends in L.A. I'll get you their number. They'll, they're going to help you out, you know. And he's thanking him. He said, oh, thanks so much, Jerry. You're, you know, you're a good guy. Finally, he couldn't, Harrison couldn't see it go on anymore, and he finally caved and told Laird it was a, it was a big joke. Interestingly enough, he stopped popping off at spring training after that. That's so very similar. I, I mean, that was- we've done stories like that where, you know, the rookies – when, whenever the team goes to Chicago, whether it be American or National League, the rookies typically go and paint the underside of the uh, the statue. You know, the fame. I don't know what it's called. The famous statue with the guy on the horse. They go and paint the uh, the uh, part that's hanging down under the horse. They go and paint that team colors. And and several times they've played a joke and had the police come into the clubhouse and try to find the culprit. I believe Jello Gate had the FBI. <laughs> Remember, the, they had guys pretend to be the FBI coming in trying to figure oh, out who yeah. was putting the Jello in the right. hotel rooms. <laughs> this is a tried and true trope for uh, for major league clubhouses: is to arrest teammates to put them in their place. I see a quick quote here from Ron Washington, who took special interest in Gerald Laird during spring training, and he said. I just want him to concentrate on making this pitching staff better and helping them believe in him. That year, Laird had the lowest fielding percentages of all major league catchers and the lowest range factor of all full-time catchers. Yikes. Well, yeah, he had an arm. That's good. But uh, anyway, this led me to do a little more research on Mr. Laird. And apparently, he was actually arrested one time. Uh, This is years later. Him and his um, brother, Brandon, who was a uh, Yankees prospect at the time, they went to a Phoenix Suns game because I believe they live in Arizona. And they went to the game and then they went out afterwards. And there was an incident where they started arguing with another couple of guys. So it ended up being that uh, the whole incident was caused by a dust up between the Laird brothers and NBA player who is not to be mentioned. You can look it up if you want. And we don't, we just don't talk. We don't talk NBA on the show, do we? Don't know what it is. Uh, they end up getting into a brawl. He was, uh, they were yelling at each other and the women were yelling at each other and, and it, everything just kind of went nuts. And Laird got arrested under suspicion of misdemeanor assault for allegedly striking a security guard in the head from behind during the brawl. Now all this is, it's pretty lame. But then I got to somebody recap this is a writer named Aaron Gleeman, and he recapped the entire incident. He said to recap, just about everyone in the entire Laird family showed up to a Suns Celtics game drunk and then made their way into an in arena bar for some more drinking. 
Grandpa tried to get fresh with an NBA player's wife. Brandon got angry and turned the harassment level up a few notches. And Gerald sucker punched a security officer once things got out of hand. So there you have it uh, from getting arrested pretend to uh, getting arrested after Grandpa got fresh with an NBA player's wife. So, you know, I mean, who hasn't who hasn't run into that at one point or another in their life? Gerald Laird, fake arrested to actually arrested and uh, in a very, very interesting and bizarre manner. Well, it's a tight knit family. They're, they're willing to stick so. up for each other no matter what. <laughs> I guess so. I, I was liking it and I'm like, yeah, I could talk about this. And then once I got to grandpa, I'm like, oh, I got to mention this. This is hilarious. All right. Well, Gerald Laird. So we go from we're going to go from one guy that's kind of a loud mouth that I don't know if he really intimidated people or not, but he was a loud mouth to another guy that was a big guy. Definitely not a loud mouth, but one of the biggest intimidators ever in our game. I'm talking about Lee Smith. Yeah. Lee Arthur Smith. I don't know why I always used to call him with by his middle name, but I did, and I'm going to continue to do so. Lee Arthur Smith, big dude, 6'5", 220. He's in the Hall of Fame. Finally got in on, uh, on a veteran's vote. Uh, I think he deserves to be in there. At one point, he was the all-time saves leader. He led the league in saves four times. 18-year career, 478 saves. Lifetime 303 ERA and a 132 ERA plus a lot of strikeouts. Uh, he was one of the he was one of the first kind of group of power relievers that came in and closed games in baseball. He was right. among the crew though that didn't just come in in the ninth inning. A lot of these saves were you know one one plus you know maybe two innings of relief to get these saves. So he earned them. You know, these were hard-earned saves as opposed to just coming in to start the ninth with a three-run lead. Right, or the one-out save, which is my favorite. Yeah. Let's see, 2019 was the year that he was elected seven-time All-Star, three times Rolaids Reliever of the Year. Uh, I mentioned all the career saves. Big, intimidating dude on the mound. He kind of of looks like Dave Stewart on the mound with that glare. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He looks like Dave Stewart if Dave Stewart ate another Dave Stewart. That's he's, right. a, he's a big guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, Lee is a big dude. Yeah. So this is what Lee said about his stare. This is all a quote from him. He said, quote, actually, that stare, the look on my face when I was on the mound started when I came up with the Cubs. We played a lot of day games then, obviously, at Wrigley. And the glare from the afternoon sun when you're on the mound made it really hard to see the signals from the catcher, especially in the late afternoon when I would come into the game. I wasn't trying to scare anyone. I was just trying to see the signs. I was looking very hard, staring at the catcher. I had a very serious expression on my face. I was stone-faced, glaring. I just wanted to get the signs right, that's all. But then that just kind of became my trademark, end quote. That's awesome. So, <laughs> That's so great. Whole persona is not, <laughs> you couldn't see. Uh, that's, that's awesome that it worked out that way. How serendipitous. Yeah, so this is a quote from Jay Johnstone, one of our favorites here. He was a teammate with, the, with uh, Lee Smith on the Cubs in 1984. He once asked Lee Smith, he said, quote, Hey, Lee, why bother washing your car? Just glare at it and all the dirt will fall off. The <laughs> typical Jay Johnstone quote. The seven-time All-Star also became known for his long, slow walks in from the bullpen to the mound late in the game. He liked to make the batter wait, but this trait also has a very interesting story behind it. 
So I'm going to give you another quote from him, from right from Lee Smith here. He said, quote, that's another thing that I'm associated with, and it just sort of happened. I had a lot of friends on the grounds crew at Wrigley Field. I found out that they got time and a half if the game went past 4.30. So I took my time getting out to the mound. The slow walk <laughs> to the mound, it just became part of my routine. I take care of my grounds crew buddies, but I would tell them you owe me. Those guys are more than just friends. They're like family, end quote. That's fantastic. So like everything that kind of <laughs> exemplifies this Lee Smith persona that we know, the glare, the slow saunter out <laughs> from the bullpen, there are yeah. stories behind it. None of it meant to intimidate the batter. <laughs> that That's so funny because it was, it was very intimidating. Oh, yeah. he, he would come out of there and you see this big dude, he's marching out and he's taking his time getting to the mound and you're thinking, man, if we're gladiators, I'm going to be scared to death by the time he gets out here, you know? So, and, and, and of course the stare, he just, you know, he just had that awesome look and it's hilarious to know that neither of those were even intentional nope. to what they were supposed to be. Just, uh, <laughs> just being a good guy, helping out the grounds crew and didn't have good eyesight in the, in the, in the dusk. <laughs> I love that. So there's this book, and I have this book. This was one of the first baseball books I ever purchased. Because this book, and I got to find it because I'm sure there's material in there for us. It's called Baseball Confidential. And this was like beyond the, uh, you know, autobiographies like Ball Four and those kind of things. This was the first book that really kind of gave me as a young man insight to what goes on in a major league clubhouse and what guys are talking about while they're out there on the field and all that kind of stuff. And one player told the writers of this book that one of the most daunting sights in the majors was Smith throwing pure gas out of the shadows, as a quote, at Wrigley Field which obviously didn't have lights at that time. So, yeah, I mean, especially if it's late in the season or maybe even early in the season when it's getting dark earlier, to have him out there on the mound, this big (laughs) 6'5", 220 guy squinting to get the the signs, and, you know, he sauntered out there like he was a gunfighter heading to the OK Corral. I can imagine that could not have been comfortable. Yeah, I I was thinking maybe it was a Michael Myers type thing. He just didn't run. He walked because he knew he was going to get his victims. It it worked. It works. Yeah. People are scared. That's great. All right. So that's going to wrap up this uh, episode of Tales from the Dugout. A couple of uh, shorter stories. Those are a lot of fun. All right, Mark, it is time for uh, the last segment of the show. It's a segment that we didn't do a couple of weeks ago, and uh, people missed it, even though they like Second best every now and then, but uh, let's go ahead and bring back Wax Packs Heroes. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. 
If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? Um, you know what? I'm going to go in honor of Gerald Laird at the time of uh, him getting fake arrested. I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. Well, I like to go with the rival and I'm not sure the Rangers have a rival, so I'm just going to go with the interstate rival. I guess they could be rivals because they're both in the AL West now. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite teams of all time, the Houston Astros. <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? I'm a big fan. Big fan <laughs> of the Astros. Yeah. All right, Mark, uh, we've got a couple of packs here. Mixed match here. Usually we open two packs of the same kind of card, but uh, they're both from the same year, both from 1993. I have got a Don Russ Series 1 pack, and I also have a Topps Stadium Club. So uh, these are both, let's see, I think they both have 14 in there. So we're going to lose four cards each, either the top four or the bottom four. I'm going to let you go ahead and choose which would you like to uh, claim as your own, Don Russ or Topps? Yeah, that's tough. I'm going to go with Topps. All right. So I'm going to take the Don Russ. I'm going to choose to go second again. I think that's yes. been working for me. If we look at the scoreboard right now, Mark, you have 12 wins. I have eight. We're playing to 20. You are the two-time defending champ. And uh, before I open this, what would you like to lose, the top or the bottom four? Let's drop the bottom four bottom. there, Jeff. All right. So I am on a two-game winning streak here, just a reminder. Yes. And we had a big sit-down meeting in the clubhouse uh, about this. <laughs> Closed doors. Yep, it was a thing. All right, so you are going to lose... Uh, Ricky Trilek, oh. pitcher for the uh, Blue Jays, R-I-C-K-Y. You're going to lose Mike Hartley for the Phillies. You're mm. going to lose Eric Karros member's choice card. Ooh. And uh, Pat Tabler of the Blue Jays. Hmm. So not, uh, I mean, Karros uh, probably would have gotten you some. Tabler was, uh, I believe he was pretty good with the bases loaded. I don't think he was Corey Snyder-esque, but he was pretty good. So, all right. We are going to oh, look at your 10 cards here. First off, we have got Fruit Loops. Here he is with the Tigers. It is Mickey Tettleton. Oh, the master, the the legendary master of the two-out walk, who, who also couldn't steal bases. But that guy's on base percentage. Oh, man. Yep. He was always on base. We've talked about it before. Some some incredible years. 94, a 419 on yeah. base percentage for a catcher. Yeah, that's amazing. If you had to guess career stolen bases for Mickey Tettleton, what would it be? Ooh, three? 23. Oh, I was uh, in the ball within part. the same time zone. Yeah, it was only yeah. two numbers instead of one. Yeah, he, he was caught 29 times over his career. Ooh. Uh, we are looking at 1993. Not an all-star. It was. This is in between an all-star and silver slugger year, but nothing for you there. 
He was the uh, regular for the Tigers. He hit 245, an on base of 372, which is very good, and a slugging of 492 with 32 home runs, 110 RBI. He walked 109 times and had a 132 OPS plus. So this is going to start you off on the right foot, a 2.9. And he does have sweatbands that have his jersey number on, one of them at least. So that'll get you up to an even 3.0 to start out with. Very nice. We will mention it again if we haven't mentioned it before. Made a cameo appearance in Little Big League. Yep. Because uh, that's what we do. I need to make my search query just call up IMDb as well on these guys. But <laughs> That's it. They can just be, we should just make them part of the show. Yeah. All right. Next, you have got, uh, you've got another guy with a nickname. You're going to know who it is. Wild Thing. Oh, Mitch Williams. Yeah. Very nice. Was it a good Mitch Williams year or a bad Mitch Williams year? Well, if it's, uh, let's see, we're in 1993, so regardless of what he did during the regular season, it was a bad Mitch Williams year. <laughs> yes, this is true. Uh, nicknames Wild Thing, Mitchy Poo, or Dum Dum. Uh, Mitchy Poo? Mitchy Poo. Or Dum Dum? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't make these up. I just read them. Three and seven during <laughs> the regular year, a pretty good ERA of 3.34. He had 43 saves, 62 innings. 60 strikeouts, a ERA plus of 120, and all of this equals a war of 0.3, and nothing else on this card. In the positive. Is but uh, not not a great year to to finish up with, uh, with Ricky jumping <laughs> yeah. off of second, yeah, taking credit for that home run. To uh, <laughs> all right, wow, you've got some good good guys here. Uh, you're putting together nice. a squad here. Next, I, I mean, this guy was known to beat up a cameraman or two. During his time in Texas, and here it is. He also threw a no hitter. It is Kenny Rogers, the gambler. I, I always liked Kenny Rogers. He, you know, he'd get you two hundred plus innings a year, and he'd win a few games along the way. Lefty, remember his time with the A's? Yep. Definitely have to put the word baseball after his name in in uh, the search engine here. <laughs> yes. You might get someone else named. You're going to get the gambler one way or the other, but we're looking for the left-handed gambler. 20-year career in the big leagues for uh, Kenny, member of the 1996 All-Star team with the New York Yankees, five-time Gold Glove winner and a four-time All-Star. In 1993, he went 16 and 10 with a 4.10 ERA and 35 starts, 208 innings, and 140 strikeouts for a 102. ERA plus, and that is going to get you a war of 2.2. He does have two and ones on those, so that'll just be 2.1. Kenny, you let me down with the two and ones, man. But what a workhorse, huh? Yeah, he was. Also had a bit of a temper. Mentioned the uh, the time during uh, during batting practice where he beat up a TV cameraman. I think that was an accident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when he. <laughs> Went in the dugout and then purposely came back out. (laughs) Yeah, totally slipped. Uh, Let's see. Sent the cameraman to the local hospital. An official uh, complaint of assault against Rogers was filed. Fined $50,000, but he was suspended for 20 games. You know, I don't recall too many other guys going after after the media physically. I mean, I, I think it happened last year. Or in the Mets clubhouse. Maybe it was two years ago. I think there was some some issues. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't happen a whole lot anymore, thankfully. No, no, it doesn't. I said, uh, I said he threw a no-hitter. He threw a perfect game against the Angels in Ooh. 1994. Even more impressive. Yeah. And uh, then he ended up on the late show with David Letterman for that. 
So that's good. Nice. Okay, so you are at 5.4. Next, you have got a, another pitcher, this one with the Padres. It is Tim Scott. Oh, man, Tim Scott. I'm trying to remember anything I remember him. Well, he's got two first names, uh, so that's... He was an have, expo, right? At one point, he was. Here he is with the Padres. Okay. Let's see. Seven years in the big leagues, came up with San Diego, went to Montreal for a spell, and then kind of bounced around the last couple of years of his career. In 1993, he was with Montreal, 5-2 and two with a 3.71 ERA, had a save, only pitched 34 innings, struck out 35, though, in a 114 ERA+, plus, and that equals a war of .4. He does have the two and ones, though, so that'll just be another .3. Another positive, yeah, though. You're not, you're not going the wrong way. Two and one's the scourge of my existence. All right. Next, you have got, let's see, he's listed here. As a second base, third baseman. For some reason, I think of him as a catcher, but I don't know that he was. Tim Hewlett with the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, um, I thought he was a middle infielder. Well, his card says second and third base. I don't know why I think he was a catcher. He never caught in the big leagues, but that's just me. 12-year career in the big leagues. Came up with the White Sox, spent five years there, then six years in Baltimore, and then finished up in 95 with the Cardinals in only four games. In 1993, he was, he only appeared in 85 games, played everywhere around the infield, except for catcher, hit 300, had an on-base of 361, only two home runs, 23 RBI, and a OPS plus of 97. That equates to a war of 2.5, now, he does have two-in-ones, but he also has flip-downs, so those will cancel each other out, and you're going to get a 2.5 out of that, which is, is that your best card so far, Tim Hewlett? I think well, so. He's a valuable guy defensively, and he hit 300. Absolutely. There you go. And uh, I believe uh, his son was the once-a-pitching prospect for the Mariners, uh, Tug Hewlett. You're spot on. He was drafted by the <laughs> Astros, though. Okay. It doesn't say anything about Tug and the Mariners, but I am not looking at his baseball reference page. Uh, before we go any farther, Kenny Rogers was a Ranger, and we forgot to add that. So you're going to get a plus one there. That'll take you up to 9.2. I, I jolted my memory because next you've got an Astro, which is my team. So I'm going to go ahead and take that one back and put you back down to 8.2. <laughs> it is uh, Here he is with the Houston Astros, Eric Anthony. Uh, I had such high hopes for it. Didn't he play for the Mariners at one point too? <laughs> if ever, yep. see, if you just put the word disappointed in your description of a player, my immediate reaction is going to be, didn't he play for the Mariners too? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks man for, for thinking of my team that way. Eric Anthony, nine years in the big leagues, five of it with the Houston Astros. In 1993, he appeared in a career-high 145 games. He hit 15 home runs, knocked in 66, only a 249 average, only a 319 on base, and a 95 OPS+. plus. Let's see, that equates to a 2.3 war. Uh, I can't see well, his socks, so he's gonna, isn't that like, that's Tim Hewlett-like numbers in the yes. war department. <laughs> And uh, let's see, he was traded by the Astros to the Mariners for Mike Felder and Mike Hampton. That's right. Yeah. I see. Yeah. The thing about Anthony is he had a, he had a tops card 
after like a couple of really big minor league seasons, he hit 60 home runs over the course of 88 and 89 in the minor Interesting league. here. He was an 18-year-old high school dropout, and he was working on an assembly line at a plastics company in Houston when he talked his way into an Astros tryout in 1986 and impressed everybody with his power. So very huh. nice. First major league hit came in his second game as an Astro, a 414-foot home run off of Rick Russell at the Astrodome. Nice. All right. Next, you've got a pitcher for the Montreal Expos. It's Mark Gardner. Good mustache. <laughs> Too bad we don't do the mustachios anymore. Yeah, I don't know. That might need to come back when we revisit the rules after this season. I kind of like that one. Yeah. But it seemed like everybody has them. Regardless, 13 years in the big leagues for Gardner. Let's see, 1993 was his first year outside of Montreal. He spent the year in Kansas City, also made stops in Florida, and six years to end his career with the Giants. But in 1993, he went 4-6, 6.19 ERA. Yeah, 91 innings, 54 strikeouts, and a 75 ERA+. And all of that equates to a war of minus .4, and he has got some 2-1s on. And this, I I don't know, I'm thinking about a minus 0.2 for these two-in-ones because he's wearing them, but he's got his pants pulled up. You know, usually if you're if you're wearing (laughs) two-in-ones, you only see an inch or two of them here. But he's wearing them at my preferred height for people that wear real stirrups where they're like midway up your shin. That's that's a fashion foul, if anything, but that'll take you. That's what the French would call a Fouts pad. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I, I hope, you know, I don't know. You could be swearing. We could have to put a not safe for work tag be. on this episode for all I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's going to take you down to 10 even. Uh, let's see. Gardner no hit the Giants in 1991 for nine innings, but gave up two hits to start the bottom of the 10th. That's Ouch. cool, but a great accomplishment. All right. So you are down to three more cards. You are at 10 even. Next, you have got a pitcher for the Yankees, Steve Farr. Man, I do remember him. I believe so. I think I remember him vaguely as well. Yeah, definitely a reliever. Let's see. 11 years in the big leagues, six with Kansas City, three with New York. In 1993, it was his final year with the Yankees. He went two and two with a 4.21 ERA. So close to a 420 ERA. (laughs) Maybe that's a new rule, too. If you have an ERA of 420, you get a point. (laughs) That is 47 innings, 39 strikeouts, a ERA plus of 100 even. And that'll take you more to 0.3. He does have two and ones, though. So it'll just. All he could pull me was a 0.3 and then he loses one because. Well, you know, these are 1993. I mean, this is in the height of the of the. Oh, yeah. Two and ones. All right, you're down to your final two cards. Uh, First is a reliever for Cincinnati. It's Tim Pugh. Man, I remember the name. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Before I look it up, what do we think a nickname for Tim Pugh would be? (laughs) Turkey? Stinky? Yeah, I was was going more along the stinky or P. Pugh. Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't have any listed nicknames. In baseball reference, six years in the big leagues, did not pitch a whole heck of a lot. 1993 was his busiest year. He appeared in 31 games as a starter for 27. He went 10 and 15 with a 5.26 ERA. He did have three complete games, one of which was a shutout. 
not much in the way of strikeouts and a 76 ERA plus. All of that equates to a minus 0.4 war. I like this. You're going, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. I, I, in, yeah, that's great. Interesting thing about this though, is he was, uh, let's see, 10 and 15. So he had 25 decisions and he only started 27 games. That's kind of interesting. It is. A lot of decisions. All right, so you're at 9.8 and you're getting your final card of the round. It is the pinch hitting wizard. Here he is with the Dodgers sliding past to base. It's Lenny Harris. <laughs> Lenny Harris was a, a master pinch yeah. hitter, wasn't so he? So 1993, he was with the Dodgers. At this point, I think he was more of a regular. Well, no, he appeared in 107 games and only 106 at bats. So he definitely wasn't playing a whole lot let's see he hit 238 on base of 303 and 325 slugging not much going on there for a 73 ops plus and all of that equals a war of minus 0.1 man i'm nothing on this card is going to get you anything else either so that'll drop you down to a 9.7 i feel that's definitely doable yeah I think wow, so. He was involved in 2002 in a three-way deal between the Mets, the Rockies, and the Brewers. Just listen to some of these names. They weren't the biggest names, but these are definite like early 2000s names. You've got Glendon Rush, Benny, Agbia- Benny Agbayani, Todd Zeal, uh, Ross Glode, Alex Ochoa, Jeremy Burnitz, Jeff D'Amico, and Mark Sweeney. Some wow. definite 90s names right there. Or 2000s, yeah, I guess. for sure. Okay, so I am feeling confident with your 9.7. I have got this pack of uh, very high gloss 1993 Don Russ Series One. I like you. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose the bottom, uh, the bottom four. So I am going to be losing Jose Akendo, Chris Sabo, Alex Cole, and Mark Carrion, my wayward son. Now, hmm. I mean, the Cole. Oh, oh, wait, no, I have I have cards are sticking together. I am going to have uh, I am going to get to keep Mark carry on stuck to the Alex Cole card was Tim Belcher pitcher for. So ah. I got two reds. Let me make sure that these cards are very sticky. What's funny here, though, is uh, Alex Cole and Chris Sabo back to back. Two guys that uh, had some some good facial uh, eye stuff going on. Which would have helped me. (laughs) And this is a great shot of a kendo. Somebody is rolling into him at second base to try and break up a double play. Uh, No word if that is Chase Utley or not. It looks like he's on the red, so I don't think it's Chase Utley. All right. Here we go. Uh, We've had this guy before, but he'd probably get me some uh, a solid number at least. It is with the Expos, Marquise Grissom. Oh, yeah. Base stealer extraordinaire. That was one. There's a name I know I don't need to type baseball in addition to his name. Yeah. Nobody else is going to come up other than Marquise. 17 years in the big leagues, six with Montreal, and then he bounced around quite a bit, mainly in the in the National League. He spent one year in Cleveland. That was the only American League stop for him. Let's see. Well, I, he was on the Brewers in the late 90s. Were they in the American League or National League at that point? Oh, it's National League. You know, we nope, should know this stuff League. off I can the top see of our right. heads. Uh, let's see, 1993. This is good news for me. He won a gold glove and he was an all-star. So you didn't have Yikes. anything that helped you like that in your in your entire pack. No. Uh, he 
had a pack of very average yeah, players. Yeah, you had the apparently. Ping Bodhi pack uh, specifically. Right. Let's see. At That's 298 it. average, 351 on base, 438 slugging. He had 19 home runs for Marquise Grissom. Wow. That's not even his career high. He had several seasons where he had more than 20 home runs and ended up with 227 for his career. Not what you think of. You don't, you don't think yeah. of that when you think also of Also drove in 95 this year, which was a career high. Stole 53 wow. bases. Stole 429 over his career. An OPS, though, of 107. So that's not a great number. That'll get me a, well, I lied, 5.3 war. Now, he, and I'm going to get a whole extra point because he was an all-star and a gold glove. So that's 6.3. And he's got a sweatband with his number on it. So that is 6.4 off my Man. first card. I am only three points behind you. you you're going to have to finish up like I did with like 12 guys in a Let's row not with do negative that. numbers. All right, next we've me. got uh, a member of the Atlanta Hammers. I really liked this guy. There were two guys in baseball uh, at the same point that both had the same name. This is Brian Hunter. Is this Brian? Yes. This is not Brian L. Yeah, so this is not right. Brian L. Hunter. This is Brian R. Hunter, who played for Atlanta at this point in 1993. He only appeared in 37 games, though. Hit 138 with a minus six OPS plus. I think if you've got a plus in the name of your statistical category, you should not be able to have negative numbers. Just uh, so you're going to get your wish here. A minus 1.1 war. He's oh. got a sweatband. I think it usually had his number on it, but I can't see it. And he's got the high tops and the long pants. So nothing there other than a minus 1.1. All right. Next, we've got a guy that Boy, he played for a lot of teams. As I remember, it is Stan Javier here with the Phillies. Stan Javier finished his so career you're in Seattle. saying he was a disappointment compared to his father. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> Let's see. 17 years in the big leagues. Seven of those with the A's. And uh, yeah, finished uh, two years in Seattle in 2000 and 2001. In 1993... He spent the year with the Angels, actually. Appeared in 92 games. He hit 291, a 362 on base, a 405 slugging. He had three home runs, 28 RBI, 12 stolen bases, and a 105 OPS plus. That equals a 1.2 war. Nothing. Well, you know what? I can see his stirrups here, and those are real because I see an arch on them. I can barely see it, but I can see it, and I'll take it. So that's a 1.3. Me back up to 6.6. Uh, father played in the big leagues. We've talked about that before. Obviously mentioned this before. He was uh, packaged with Tim Burtzis, one of the nasty boys not spoken about. Jay Howell, Eric Plunk, and Jose Rijo. And uh, they were traded for Ricky Henderson. Heard of him. Talked about him before. Okay, mm. next I have got somebody that I don't know. First baseman for the Reds, uh -oh. Tim Costco. I don't recall See if Tim we can Costco find either. out about Timmy here. Appeared, uh, let's see, he was in the big leagues for only two years, 92 and 93, both with Cincinnati. In 93, he appeared in 31 games. He had three home runs, 12 RBI, 224 average, 250 on base, yuck, and a 63 OPS plus, and that equals a minus 0.3. Well, you kind of jinxed me, I think. I am doing exactly what you said <laughs> you were hoping would happen. All right? Yes. So uh, I am struggling here. I'm, I'm spinning my wheels. Next, we've got a 
brother of a Hall of Famer. He's a pitcher, now a very famous pitching coach. It's Mike Maddox. <laughs> yes. I thought it was unfair to call him the Now, if I accidentally Maddox. just clicked on Greg's numbers and took that, is that where? Do you, <laughs> do you know of a Mike Maddox nickname? Well, it says here he's known as Mad Canine, as opposed to his brother, who's Mad Dog. <laughs> Mad Canine. canine. Uh, doesn't no, really roll off I, the tongue. I don't think but, that one uh, caught okay. on. 1993, he was with the Mets. He went 3-8, and eight, a 3.6 ERA, 75 innings, 57 strikeouts, a 112 ERA plus. He spent 15 years in the big leagues, including one in Seattle, where he went 1-0 and with a 10.13 ERA. Yeah, he got <laughs> he that, got win, that all win, all right. Uh, all this equates to a war of 0.6. It's a positive number, so I'll, I'll take it. And both got me a up 6.9. Okay, uh, this is this would be a good card. I, I'm I'm hoping it was one of his really good years. Here he is with Atlanta. It's prime time. Deion Sanders. Yeah, one of my all time now favorite head athletes. coach at Jackson State. That's what it is. But let's uh, yeah. let's see. I don't want uh, pro football reference. I want baseball reference. And I'm gonna have to. There we go. I almost had to do another search. All right. So Dion. Ended up spending nine years in the big leagues. 1993, it was okay. I mean, somewhat okay. <laughs> he appeared in 95 games, hit 276. His on base was only 321. With somebody with that much speed, you better work on getting on base, is what I'm saying. Six home runs, 28 RBI, 19 stolen bases, and a 105 ERA plus. This is going to get me a 1.5 war. I, for some somehow in this picture, he is not wearing sunglasses and does not have anything that references himself on his sweatpants. Well, you know, they would he would probably would have had to pay himself a royalty money could have for that. It. All right. I'm at eight point four. I have got four cards left, so I'm in good. I'm one point three behind you with four cards left. This one might get me. Well, actually, I'm gonna, I'm going to be happy if I'm not negative here. Well, actually, and, and okay. especially since he's wearing a Rangers uniform, so I'm already in the hole. It's the chemist, Jose Canseco. <laughs> he is wearing like some shades, name. though, so I, I at least got that going for me. Let's see, 93 okay. with the Rangers. He only appeared in 60 games. Still hit 10 home runs, 46 RBI, 255, 308, 455 slash for 106 OPS+. Plus. And that will equal a war of positive 0.1. Plus he's got the sunglasses. That's 0.2. But he's on the Rangers. So that's a whole minus point. So that's a minus 0.8. Oh, Zach. (laughs) That's like letting a fly ball hit you in the head and go over the fence or something. Oh, man. You know, Jose is, uh, I'm not sure if I would say he's doing well. He's got a... Uh, he's got a, a car wash in Las Vegas if you want to stop by. He's there every now and then signing autographs. But I know he's in debt a lot. And a car wash in Vegas? I'll be there, Jose there has in a been, week or so. I mean, his IMDP page is quite long. He's on The Simpsons. He's on Nash Bridges. Uh, let's see. He's been on several reality shows. Uh, Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List. 
He was a reality TV special called Stripper's Ball with Jenna Jameson and Dennis Rodman. He was on The Surreal Life. I remember that. I watched that. A basketball drama called Slamma Jamma as a judge. Well, obviously he should be judging basketball. Certainly. And he was on The Celebrity Apprentice (laughs) at one point as well. I didn't watch that one. Okay, moving on. I'm at 7.6. Got a pitcher for the Cubs. It is Jeff Harstock. Jeff Harstock. Harstock. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I this this should, I we don't want too many rules, but this would be a rule I'd like to to uh, start with. He's throwing a palm ball here, and uh, that just does not happen very often in a in a card. No, All right, that's let's a rare see. pitch. Well, this isn't going to help me out. He appeared in four games total in his career. All of them came in 1992. <laughs> yeah. That's well, helpful. yeah, it's And there's nothing on this card that's going to help me. So, All right. So I'm still at 7.6 and I'm down to two cards. We know what my last card is and he Uh-oh. might have to carry it because here yes. I've got third baseman for the Blue Jays, Tom Quinlan. I remember, I remember the, the name. I, did he play for the Angels at one point? Um, now you got me. I, I'm not positive. I mean, I was lucky to know Let's who see. he was. No, he so did not. Tom Quinlan, four years in the big leagues. He appeared in the big leagues. Oh, this is going to help me. 1990, 1992, 1994, and 1996. So he only played, he was only allowed to play in even-numbered years. Apparently so. That's so weird. 1993, last time I checked, was an odd number year, so I get no no help there. He is the brother of Rob Quinlan, who had a, a good career. Oh, okay. I think he's a Rob Quinlan might be a coach somewhere as well. But we're we're more interested in Tom here. Uh, Tom also went and spent three years in the Korean League, where he put up average numbers, nothing special. Ah, here we go, Tom Quinlan was a two-sport star in high school and was drafted by the Calgary Flames of the NHL in the fourth round in the 86 NHL draft. Wow. That's a pretty decent pick. He and his brother Rob are co-owners of the St. Croix River Hounds. St. Croix River Hounds, a collegiate summer baseball team from the Northwoods League. But they are not on the 2022 schedule. So... If you're the owner of a baseball team that is not okay. on any schedule, are you? Yeah. 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 Anyone can so say I said he was just team. average in Korea, and his numbers looked average, but he became the first foreign-born Korean series MVP when he led the Hyundai wow. Unicorns to their Korean championship in 2000. Yeah. The Unicorns. All right, so this is Boy. it, Mark. I am at 7.6. You're at 9.7. So I'm 2.1 behind you, and I'm down to my final card, which, as we mentioned earlier, is Mark Carry On My Wayward Son. I have no idea what to expect here. Son of Cam Carry On, who I am unfamiliar with, but actually Cam is Camilo Carry On. Yeah. Okay. Who played for eight years in the big leagues. But Mark appeared for 10 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Mets, 1993. He was with the Giants. He only appeared in 78 games. He did hit seven home runs, had 33 RBI. He hit 327, a 373 average on base, and a 540 slugging for a 146 OPS plus. This is getting interesting. Hmm. 
go down and look at the old war here, and now it's less interesting. (laughs) (laughs) A war of 0.7 with nothing on the card that's going to help me out. And that Maybe will, it's a misplaced decimal. That will bring my total to eight point. This was looking so promising. It really was. I mean, my gosh, what yeah. happened? Eight point three, which again, I went to Washington State, but I'm fairly certain that is less than nine point seven. <laughs> yes, I'm pretty positive. All right. So that's going to bump your win total up to 13. You're making progress. That's that's called winning with pie gal right there. That's winning. That's all ugly. I had. You know, I feel like I feel like you didn't win as much as I lost. <laughs> that's one way to put yeah. it. <laughs> all right. So that's going to wrap up another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Let's start to wrap up the show and remind everybody that if you can just not get enough of us, we're always available 24-7 on the Internet. So you can find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram. We can be found at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. We are in the midst of posting a Ricky Henderson fact and picture or video every day until the uh, MLB lockout ends. So by the time you hear this, we're going to be in the 60s consecutive days with this information and these memories if you're interested. A lot of people seem to be enjoying it. I, I know I am. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you can also find us on Twitch and YouTube. All those will be down in the show notes if you want some links. We also have an email address that you can find down there. But we like to let Mark tell you even more about it. Yes, it's a very special email address. You don't use a number. You spell it out. TWO strike noise at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We thank everybody for being here with us. We had a good time. We hope you did as well. And uh, you know what? We're going to see you on the next edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 